This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Craig Cabanis, the lead pastor, is the speaker for this message. today, as this passage does, about praying for open doors, praying for open doors. You know, there is perhaps nothing more discouraging than a closed door, a shut door. Um, And uh, I had a period of my life when I was in high school, I was 16, and I had a part-time job where my regular daily experience was the closed door because I was, had this little job doing a door-to-door sales kind of thing. And I can remember it like it was yesterday. I worked for Mr. Griffin, and it's like Mr. Griffin is standing right here with me. I can smell him right now. He, he smoked like a chimney, and I can just uh, smell the smoke right now. Even as I think of Mr. Griffin, I can hear him speak. Uh, I can feel him speak as he had a salivary condition that caused him to spray when he spoke. I don't mock him. Just I'm giving you the reality of Mr. Griffin. And uh, we worked for uh, Paradise Pools, and uh, so my job with a handful of other high schoolers was meet Mr. Griffin after school, and he'd have these maps laid out for us in neighborhoods, and we would walk and go door to door. 16-year-olds, we weren't really selling. We didn't have the authority to sell a pool and close a deal, uh, but we were there to get appointments. So we would try talk to people at their front door, had these little cards. We'd try to get them to fill it out, and then a real you know, kind of salesperson would follow up. And uh, so if you were 16, I love you. I respect you. Um, and it's great that you have a part-time job, but you know what? Most people are not going to make a $50,000 investment starting with a 16-year-old at their front door, and so no one ever wanted this sales appointment when we came to the door. Uh, They either just shut it on us or, uh, you know, and so my whole experience with this job, which uh, I'm scarred today by, was the experience of the closed door. On the other hand, an open door is thrilling. There's perhaps nothing more encouraging than an open door because an open door means welcome. It means access. It means availability. It means opportunity. That's really what we mean when we say the door was open to me as we're usually speaking about opportunity. And it's one of the most exciting metaphors in the New Testament. The New Testament uses the picture of the open door in a number of different places to speak of opportunity for mission in particular. So consider Acts 14.27. This is when Paul and Barnabas return to Antioch and they're reporting about their missionary travels. And they say, it says, And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared that God had done all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. So they come back and say people who were Gentiles believed in Christ. They don't just say they believed. They said God opened a door of faith to them. So this was an opportunity for people to meet Christ, speaking of an open door in the past. Then in 1 Corinthians 16, he uses the picture in a different way. For I do not want to see you now, just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door for effective work is open to me. And there are many adversaries. 
Now, oftentimes we think of an open door meaning a, a trouble-free, problem-free opportunity. So he's saying there's a lot of open doors, a wide open door for the gospel. There's also a lot of opposition and pushback. But nonetheless, he speaks of this, his gospel mission, we have an open door. I can't even leave the city I'm in because God has opened the door. People are listening. And they're responding to the gospel, so I've got to stay here. So the first one was an open door in the past, then an open door in the present. And in Colossians 4, he's talking to them about an open door in the future and asking them to pray for that open door. So let's listen to these verses, today's passage, uh, Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6. This is God's word. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So Colossians, if, if you're new to this, the study here, we're almost done with it, but let me just tell you a little bit about what the book's been about, about because it leads into this passage. The book has been about the preeminence of Christ. Paul has been writing to them about to these new Christians in a city called Colossae. It's a fledgling church. He's been writing to them about the preeminence, the grandeur, the greatness of Jesus Christ. And he's been guarding them from false teaching, which says, look, once you meet Jesus by grace, that's great. But if you want to grow, some people are saying you need to obey the law. Growth comes by keeping Old Testament practices, uh, kind of a legalism. And he's saying that's not. It's your union with Christ. You're by grace. That's how you grow is you acknowledge him and his work and lean into him. Other people are saying you need mystical experiences. If you need visions, this is how you grow. And he's saying, no, you are in Christ. That's how you grow. It's what Jesus has done for you as you lean in, believe, trust him. That is how you grow. And then he shows them how to walk that out in some specific areas. So we took a number of weeks to look at how he he turns and says, look, this is how this affects your marriage. If you're in Christ, this is how it affects you as a married person. This is how it affects you as a young person as you relate to your parents. This is how it affects you as a parent relating to your children. This is how it affects you at work. So he goes through some very practical application of what it looks like to walk out faith in Christ. And now in these verses, he is turning his attention to people who are not yet believers. Verse 5, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. So this section is about reaching outsiders, those who don't know Jesus Christ. As we look at this passage, we're, we're finding out how this fledgling community, this young believers, they are a, a serious minority. They're marginalized. They're a serious minority in their culture uh, because they believe in Jesus. But this, he's showing here how they are to think about their mission. Because though, though they are small, they still have a purpose. They still have a mission. He's talking to them here about what is their role in bringing the good news to others. And he gives them two types of instruction. In verses 3 and 4, he talks to them about how to talk to God, how to pray to God for those who don't know Christ. So it's, here it's talking to God about people. 
in verses 5 and 6, he's going to talk about, which we'll look at these verses next week, how to talk to others, how to relate to others, how to have a winsome lifestyle and approach in the way you relate to outsiders. So there he's talking about how do we talk to people about God. So these first two verses, how do we talk to God about people? The next two verses, how do we talk to people about God? And he begins with a call to prayer. The whole mission emphasis begins with prayer. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, if I said we were going to talk about evangelism, we're going to talk about outreach, we're going to talk about mission, uh, we might not, first of all, think, well, the first thing we need to talk about is prayer. But that's where he starts, because the first step to reaching out is reaching up. The first step to reaching out is reaching up, and that's really the theme of the verses we're looking at today. That's why he says, continue steadfastly in prayer. The NIV translates it, devote yourself to prayer. Devote yourselves to prayer. There's perhaps no more fundamental Christian act than prayer. And here's why. Because prayer makes it clear that we are dependent upon God. We are fundamentally dependent upon God. We are dependent creatures. And the call to continue steadfastly in the prayer, the call to devote yourselves to prayer, is in reality the call to daily and regularly throughout the day be reminded that God has ultimate power and I do not. God has ultimate power and I do not. That's why I'm to continue steadfastly in prayer because I need God and I express my need for God most clearly through prayer through steadfast, conversational, regular prayer towards the Lord. And Paul has demonstrated this. If you go back to chapter 1, this is how he has related to the Colossians. He didn't start this church. Paul preached the gospel. He's bringing the good news to Gentiles. Somebody named Epaphras believes. This guy Epaphras goes to Colossae. And he tells them about Christ. People become Christians. This church is formed. And now Paul is writing them. He's never met them. He's only heard the story of their faith. And this is what he says in chapter 1, verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. And he goes on, may you be strengthened. But you see what he's saying? He said, I heard the report. We heard the report that you had become believers. And since that time, I have not ceased. I've made it my regular practice to pray for you. Why? Because Paul can't build this church. Paul can't disciple these people. He's not there. Paul can't change their hearts. Paul can't reach the lost in their city from from a prison cell elsewhere. He knows that, that they are dependent, and even if he was with them, he still couldn't do all of those things. God has to do those things for this church to mature, for them to be guarded from false teaching, for them to experience God, know God, walk with God, build their lives together in a community of love, to be strengthened against uh, all of the opposition they will face for their faith. For them to stand, they need God to work, God to cause them to stand. 
They need God just like we do. We are called to steadfast and ongoing prayer because we live with ongoing need. We live with ongoing need. I think another reason we're called to steadfast, continue steadfastly in prayer, is because in most cases, our prayers are not answered immediately. There are times you pray for something, and like miraculously, something happens and God answers it immediately, within the hour, within the day, whatever it is. But the norm is we pray and we wait. And then we pray again. And we don't know why God answers when he does, why he waits, why sometimes he says no, why sometimes he says yes now, why sometimes he says yes later. We don't know that. We don't know. We only know that the scripture is, makes it clear that God is always right, that God is ruling, that, we, that his ways are not our ways. And also that God will always act, or from our perspective, fail to act if we don't see him acting. Uh, God will always act for our good, for, for our growth in, in uh, holiness and knowing him. One of the benefits, when we don't know God's ways, we do know one of the benefits of steadfast praying and waiting is that it trains us in the posture of dependence. And that's the posture of a Christian. That's the posture of a disciple, dependent upon the Lord. And so we are regularly reminded of our dependence on the Lord as we wait and as we continue steadfastly, regularly in prayer. Waiting is not passive. Sometimes we feel like, well, nothing's happening. How long, oh Lord? Should I even pray? Does it even matter? Nothing's happening. He says continue steadfastly in prayer, but why? I don't see anything really going on. I feel passive. I feel inactive. I feel like it's out of my hands. I feel like nothing's being accomplished. But the reality is continuing steadfastly in prayer, in that time we are not passive, we are active We are actively trusting God. We are actively leaning on God. We are actively, at the very minimum, declaring our dependence on God, our need for him, our confidence in his sovereignty and in his power. As we devote ourselves to prayer, even when we don't see immediate results, uh, we are trusting, relying upon him, and we are being shaped in that process as dependent disciples. And here's what I've learned in in my experience, and you see this in the scripture, and maybe you've experienced this as well, that oftentimes the waiting and the praying, that oftentimes that season proves more valuable to our souls than receiving the answer of the thing we're praying for. Because God is in the process. God is about shaping us. God is about maturing us. God is about um, revealing himself to us. And he does that as we steadfastly pray. Because this is where we meet him. This is where we know him. This is how we come to love him. If you are waiting and praying steadfastly, you are not wasting your time. And I felt provoked just to communicate that to someone here or someones here. 
who feel that way. How long, oh Lord, nothing's happening. And the Lord wants you to know that you're praying, you're waiting, you're trusting is glorifying him. It's forming you and maturing you in a way that an instant answer would not. If you're a parent, think about your own kids. What if, what if from the moment of their birth, you immediately acted and gave them everything they asked for in that very second? What would you have on your hands? A beast. You would would have an absolute self-oriented self-reliant, they don't, they don't see any need for you. They would miss their entire need for you because they would think, I get what I want, whatever. They'd be immature. They really wouldn't even grow to love you um, because of that. And, and our Lord is a perfect father. And I can't explain, nor can anybody in the room, explain to you. And if someone says they can explain the ways of God, run because we are, his ways are not ours. We do not know. I cannot explain to you why you're steadfastly praying and waiting. I cannot explain that, but I can promise you God is at work in ways that you do not see and that this is the means for your own shaping for him, but for him. In our devotion to God through prayer, we're also called to be watchful. Continue steadfastly or be devoted to prayer, being watchful. It means to be alert. As you pray, pray with your your eyes wide open spiritually. Be alert, be attentive, be discerning. Be discerning of your own need. What is God doing in your heart? Do you know? If we were to ask you, what is God doing in your life right now? What does God want to change in you? What do you think God's shaping and forming in you now? Are you alert and aware to that to even pray about that? Are you aware of that for those you love, your children, uh, your friends, and your community group? What is God doing around you? Where is he active? What is God wanting to do in your job? What does my job have to do with God? Everything. God is wanting to work in your life through your job through your family, through your neighbors, through uh, what you do with your free time, through all, every part of your life. Are you aware? What is God doing around you? Find, be alert to what God is doing and pray consistently, steadfastly, crying out for help in those areas. One prayer I pray throughout the day over and over, and, and it's, there's no secret to this rote prayer, um, but I'll tell you my secret prayer. Um, it's this, help. I pray it all day long. God, help me. Okay, I'm going in this situation. God, please help me. Please help me. I'm, I'm, I'm aware that I, need, that, that I need God helping me throughout the day. So sometimes it's just throughout our day, just being aware. Are you alert and aware to your need and what's going on around you? Or would you find yourself more like the disciples who in the Garden of Gethsemane slept when Jesus appealed for them to pray? They were lulled to sleep. And let none of us think we would have done any better, okay? I'm not judging them. I don't think any of us would have done better. That if we had been there, we'd have been the one disciple that was charging on in prayer. We'd have done the same. But you talk about missing the moment. You talk about being lulled to spiritual deafness, blindness, sleep, just being out of it. This was God Almighty in the flesh with them about to be crucified saying, would you pray with me? And they're crashed. They're crashed. So we can be lulled or we can be watchful. The idea of being watchful is like a watch 
a watch person on the wall who would be guarding the city, looking out for the enemy. Watching is a guard. It's an awareness. It's an alertness. It's a response when you see the enemy coming uh, towards your fortress. Um, but it's that watch, watchfulness, wakefulness, guardedness. Are you awake or are you lulled spiritually? And if you're lulled, if your alertness and attentiveness is dulled, what is it that dulls it? That's a good question to ask. Why am I? It didn't used to be dulled like this. What's, what's dulling me? What, what attitude, what practice, what habit, what person, what, I don't know. What is it that dulls your sensitivity to alertness to the Lord and in prayer? There are certain times crises come in our lives where we're very alert. You ever been in a crisis where uh, this happens like where you have a near miss on the street? Maybe you're driving and you have a near miss. You almost crash. You go, wow, I could have just died. And you have that adrenaline rush where you're alert to what just happened. After that, you're a lot more alert. Sometimes there's a spiritual adrenaline in crisis that the Lord brings to us that gives us an alertness where things are clearer. That we need God. That's a gift. If you're here today and you're aware, I need God, that is a choice gift. Because we could easily be lulled to sleep. So what is it? If, if you feel that you are lulled, maybe the first prayer to pray is, before continue steadfastly in prayer, maybe it's just being watchful. It's praying, God, wake me up. Wake me up to my need. Wake me up to the needs around me. And finally, he says, pray with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. That is, be grateful, recognize what God has done, where is it work. He prayed this way in chapter 1 again. So in chapter 1 at verse 9, he said, he prayed continually. Since we've heard of you, we've not ceased to pray. In verse 3, he says, chapter 1, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith. And then he goes on to say, you heard the word of the truth, the gospel, verse 6, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world and it is bearing fruit and increasing as it does among you since the day you heard and understood. So he's saying, hey, I'm thanking God for you. Why? Because this is the very first thing he tells them. When I think of you, I thank God because the gospel came to you and you believed and that the gospel has a power to bear fruit. It's at work. It's changing lives. It's giving, bringing life where there is death. God is doing something, and so I thank God for what he's done. So we have a million things to be thankful for when we pray, a million things. But our, our greatest gratitude is for what Christ has done for us. He has answered our greatest need. You know, we may sit here today and say, my greatest need's financial today, or my greatest need's physical. You're suffering physically in some way. Or my greatest need is relational my marriage to work out, my something to happen with my child, something to happen with my mom or dad or my neighbor, my coworker, my boss, a person in my community group that I'm at odds with, whatever it is. My greatest need is relational sometimes we think. But our greatest need is how will we one day as fallen sinful people stand before the holy God of the universe and give an account for our lives when his standard is perfection? None of us will pass that test unless we're in Jesus Christ. If we are with Christ, if we know Jesus, we believe in him, then all of our sins are covered. 
He has given us new life. That is our greatest need. Christ has met our greatest need. That's when Paul says, I thank God for you. What do I thank? That the gospel came to you and that you believed, that you trusted in him, and that he's turned your life around. He's met your greatest need, and he's given you a purpose. He just said in the previous chapter, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of Jesus, that you now have a purpose, that all of life can be give, live for the glory of God. He's given them new life. He's, he's given them a mission and a purpose, and he's talking about that to them right here. So pray with thanksgiving. So continue in steadfastness, aware of our need. Be watchful for what to pray for and guard. And then lastly, pray thankfully. And then in verse 3, he turns and he asks for prayer personally. Verse 3, at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. Paul regularly asked for prayer personally. And I find this very convicting. This week as I was reading this, I was just evaluating myself. How often am I taking initiative and asking for specific prayer for something in my life? Is that a regular pattern uh, in my life? Uh, I've been in group settings where, you know, it's the end of the small group. We're taking prayer requests. And I'm like, I really can't think of anything uh, in my life, you know. Which means it's a good chance I'm a little out of touch in that moment. Oh, I have no needs. Uh, I probably have some needs. Uh, but I'm probably not living very aware of them at that moment. So I find this challenging. Am I specifically, I ask you, are you specifically asking for prayer? Paul regularly does this. I love this verse in 2 Corinthians 1.11. This is what he says. He says, you also must help us. Help us, he says, by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So he's saying, would you pray for me as the prayers go up? Okay, you pray for me, the blessings come down, right? So pray for me, prayers go up, the blessings come down, and then many will give thanks to God so that many will then thank God for what he's done in our lives, answered your prayers. So help us by prayer. He's not... He's not ashamed to ask for prayer. He's regularly asking for prayer. And he asks for three things. One, he asks that that God may open to us a door. So we're starting with prayer, talking about outreach here ultimately, but we're starting with prayer because the first step of reaching out is reaching up. And that's what he's doing, reaching up. Pray for open doors. He's speaking of opportunity, opportunity to bring the gospel to people. He asks this because God is the one that opens doors. Pray that God would open a door, to, God would open to us a door for the word. If you are here today and you're a believer in Christ, it's because God has opened a door to you. If you're here contemplating, God may be opening a door right this morning to you. If you're considering Jesus, God opens a door. So he's praying, we can't do this on our own. Would you pray uh, that God would open door. He's not relying on his mission strategy. Paul's not like, well, I went to missionary training school. I've got a graduate degree in missions. It's not a bad thing, but I got a graduate degree in missions, so I know what to do. He's not saying I'm smarter than everybody else here. I've forgotten more about the Old Testament than any of you people will ever know. All of you combined will not know what I've forgotten about the Bible. He's not saying I've mastered the Bible. He's not saying, I have a track record of starting churches. He's not saying, I have great experience or a strategy. He's saying there's only one way that the gospel goes forth and people respond. That's when God opens doors. So pray that God would open a door. 
please pray that God would open a door. That's a prayer that God loves to answer. And it's a prayer that sometimes we have to steadfastly ask for. Again and again and regularly, God, would you open doors? Would you open doors? I've been preaching a uh, a fair bit of time. And so I forget what I've preached on. And so when I came to this text, it was familiar to me. I've never taught through the book of Colossians before like this, but this text was familiar to me. So I searched on my computer, had I preached on this text before? And I did. So I'm just telling you that I didn't have to prepare a sermon this week. No, it's not true. I preached, but it was a very different message than what I'm teaching this morning. And it was 2009, 2009. And we had just celebrated our fourth year anniversary as a church the previous month. So we're four years old as a church and uh, we're meeting in a school. But we had just purchased a building uh, over on John Elliott, kind of back in the warehouse district. And we had just been donated this land. Both of those things had happened. So this land at Grace Street and Church Street, which it was named before we even knew about the land, maybe before uh, this church was even started. But it was named before we even knew anything about this land. And this land had been donated to us. And so I talked about this passage. I was reading my notes. I talked about this passage saying, Imagine and, and pray that one day we move over to that land, that we're able to build a building, and that from that building we're able to reach people with the gospel, people that don't know Jesus, people that do know Christ but don't have any kind of church home or fellowship to bring them in, people that are walking through challenging situations and need to know the Lord, people that we could come alongside. And, and just said, one day we'll be over there. This is 2009. We've been here two, two years plus, almost two and a half years. So we said, hey, one day we'll be over there, but let's start praying now for open doors that when we land there, the buildings, that that won't do anything, but that the Lord would use that structure to open doors for us to connect with people. And uh, and the Lord has done that. I mean, let me ask you this question. How many of you, and if this is your first time here, this includes you, but how many of you think about your first time to visit Grace Church? May have been one week, may have been one hour ago, or it may have been 10 years ago. But when was your first time to visit Grace Church? Think about that. And if it was in this building, raise your hand. Hi, raise your hand up high. Okay, those are answers. We've been praying for you since 2009, okay? Look at all of those folks, all, uh, maybe half the room or something like that. I don't know. I think it's 46% of the room uh, right there. Uh, you know, we prayed, Lord, would you open doors? Some of, these, some of you may have met Christ here. Some of others, maybe you were already a Christian. You didn't have a church home. But we pray for God to bring an open door, and God answers those kinds of prayers. He prays for an open door for the gospel. Now, follow the metaphor. He says, at the same time, pray for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ. So the mystery of Christ is that uh, something that was hidden is now revealed. Here's what's been revealed. What's been revealed is that God has a plan for a people to know him and to walk with him, that he's going to change the planet through this group of people. And in the old covenant, that was the Jews. But now he's incorporating Gentiles as well, and he's incorporating anyone into his people that believes in Jesus Christ. Jesus, the God-man, came to give his life, to die for sinners, so that everyone who believes in him receives new life and a new purpose for their lives and eternal life as well. That's what God is about doing. That's the mystery that is, is revealed. So he says, open a door so that when the door is opened, that message, which is the gospel, that message can walk through. 
So he didn't say open a door that I can walk through. He says open a door that the gospel can walk through that passageway and, and, and encounter someone encounters the gospel through us. And maybe you're here today and you say, I've never believed in Christ. I've never trusted Jesus as my Savior. I've never had the Holy Spirit come and live inside of me, grant me new life, and live in me. That, I don't know about that. Today, you can receive the door. God could be opening the door to your heart. You could be believed today. I'd urge you to believe, to reach out and to trust Christ and to believe him today by simply acknowledging, Lord, I'm, I'm sinful and I need your forgiveness. I turn from my sin and I turn and trust you. Give me new life. I want the door of my life opened to you. So that very thing, you might be an answer to your own prayer. Lord, open a door. It's me. It's my heart that needs to be opened today, maybe you would say. And if that's you, please respond to the Lord or see one of us after the service. Anybody that you saw up here talking, Caleb or Rob or myself, would be happy to talk with you or maybe the person that brought you. Happy to talk with you after the service about that. So he prays for the gospel, an open door for the gospel to pass through. I think there's many things that are amazing about this, but here's the thing that's most amazing to me about Paul's circumstance. Paul says uh, that the mystery of Christ on account of which I'm in prison. Paul's in prison writing this. If I'm in Paul's shoe, I'm, shoes, I'm praying for an open door too. The, the open door of my cell. That's what I'm praying for. Would you please pray that I get out of here? This isn't some kind of luxury, white-collar uh, sort of uh, prison that he's in. Uh, this is a place where he's, in another place he says, I'm chained. He's likely chained when he's writing this. They get a minimal amount of food. No matter some of the prisons, you had to have somebody bring you food. The prison didn't supply food. If you didn't have anybody bring you, I guess you'd just starve to death. So you were, they, they had a subsistence existence. It was real suffering that they were enduring. And so he's not saying my main prayer, it wouldn't be bad to pray to get out of jail, but that's not his main prayer. His main prayer is that God would open a door so that the gospel could go through, even in my circumstance, even in my limitation, even in my weakness. I want to see the gospel go forward. And in Philippians, he says, everyone around me, he's in jail, everyone around me, all the guards have heard the gospel. He says, the Lord used what seemed like a limitation for the good news to go forth. See, many times we can count ourselves out. Well, if this changes, then I could be a witness. Or if this gets fixed in my life, then I could share the gospel with somebody. Paul says, in the midst of my limitations, may a door be opened for the gospel. Chained in a prison, may somehow the gospel go forth. The Lord wants the gospel to go forth through our limitations. In 2 Timothy, he says this, I'm chained as a criminal, he says, but God's word is not chained. You are not, whatever your limitations are, financial limitations, health limitations, relational limitations, whatever they are, God wants to use your weakness for the gospel to go forth. I had somebody come up to me after the first service and share with me a real challenge they were going through that was, it was was an emotional challenge. Uh, it's kind of an emotional challenge they were experiencing. And, and they said to me, you know, I, I think the way I would apply that is I could say to someone else, I'm weak and needy as well. And that's an open door for the gospel to say God comes to us in our weakness. I thought that is brilliant. We don't share the gospel out of our strength. Who's drawn to someone who has it all together? And you're looking, well, I can't do that. We're drawn to people in their weakness We're drawn to people who in suffering still have hope, in weakness still know some kind of spiritual strength that we can't can't explain. 
That's in our weakness the gospel goes forth. And Paul's saying that here. Don't count your witness out. But look at his example. Even in weakness, may a door be opened. May a door be opened for me. And whatever you're facing, whether it's grief or physical challenge or uh, mental health challenge or discouragement of somehow, work challenge, maybe you don't have a job, whatever it is, relational challenge, the Lord wants to work through you. So he says, open a door. So he prays for God to open a door that the gospel can walk through. And last, he prays for clarity. That I may make it clear, he says. Why? Because there's power in the gospel. And when it's communicated clearly, things happen. When the gospel is communicated clearly, Jesus died for sinners and rose to defeat the power of sin and death. Things happen on the inside. That message, when shared over coffee or from a pulpit or however it comes across, that message has the power to grip a dead heart and bring it to life. To take a sinful person and forgive all their sins. To take someone who's wandered far from God and be the the father welcoming the prodigal home. That's what the gospel has the power to do. That's what it has the power. So he said, I want to make this clear. I don't want to get in the way. I don't want people to be impressed with my language, my intellect, my history. If Paul's saying, I'm not trying to wow anybody with anything but Jesus Christ and him crucified. Praise for clarity. It's what happened in Colossae chapter 1. It says, you received, you heard the gospel, and it bore fruit. The gospel is compared to there a harvest. So it's like seeds were tossed. That's the gospel. The seed went out. It caught your heart and Something grew. Other people hardened their heart, but you guys responded by grace. The point of the passage is the first step of reaching up is, I'm sorry, of reaching out is reaching up. Before we think about reaching out or while we're thinking about reaching out, we need to be thinking of reaching up and asking for God's power. You guys faithfully turn in prayer cards every week, and we pray for those. The prayer team prays for those. Pastors pray for those. And uh, one of our prayer leaders had a great idea, who gets the card, one of the people who sees all the cards, and said, what about, I'm going to quantify what people are praying for, so we'll see what are the real needs in our church. And uh, so he categorized all, all the cards, and this probably won't surprise you, the number one prayer request for yourself, for a family member, for a friend, someone you love, the number one prayer request is for physical uh, healing, people who have a i got a surgery coming up. Please pray. Oh, we're waiting on a diagnosis. Please, please pray. My mom has cancer. Please pray. I've got a persistent undiagnosed condition. Please pray. That kind of stuff would not surprise you. So for most, so I get a report on this every week. What are the categories of prayer in the life of the church? And uh, so for most of this year, the number two category that people in our church are praying for now, recently it's been inched out. It's like number three now, but I'm praying it gets back to number two. So the number two thing that people in our church pray for is something regarding evangelism. Someone who needs the Lord. Man, that is a dream to be a part of a church where people are praying for folks to meet Christ. I just commend you as a church. Thank you for caring about people that don't know the Lord. Thank you for living out these verses, then going in prayer and saying, would you please pray for my loved one? Please pray for my son to meet Christ. Please pray for my dad. He's dying and he doesn't know the Lord. Please pray for him. You know, pray, pray for an open eye. I've got an opportunity to share. Please pray for that. 
you guys are doing that, and it is so wonderful. Many of us are praying that way. But what if we were all, just thinking about what if we were all praying that way? What might happen if an entire church was continuing steadfastly because we need the Lord, alert to what the Lord is doing around us, grateful for all that he's already done for us, and then praying for open doors for the gospel to go through and for the gospel to be clear. Just what he's praying right here. Please pray for anybody who's teaching here. Please pray that we would make it clear and that we wouldn't obscure the message of the gospel so people are confused. Help us to make it clear. But then pray for open doors all around you. And we just, at the beginning, we saw a video this morning during the announcements to see something coming up. It's a great way to pray. We have Alpha coming up. And that is a great opportunity to be able to uh, invite people to come and hear the gospel, an open door of their heart to uh, respond to him. So we want to be praying for these kinds of things, praying for relationships. We'll talk about this next week, but relationships. It's through relationships that the door of the gospel, the door for the gospel often opens. When you build a relationship, when you love someone for just who they are, you're not using them to get the gospel to them. You love them, you care about them, you're involved in their life and somehow, and the door opens to be able to share the gospel. Many people come to the gospel because they have a friend who knows Christ. Almost every one of us in this room who's a Christian came to the gospel because someone prayed for us. Many of us, it was a praying mom or a praying grandmother or someone was praying for you. A friend was praying for you, a parent, a someone, a sibling was praying for you. So as we pray for people, as we make relationships, the Lord opens the doors. Uh, so we have a great opportunity coming up in September, but we don't have to wait till then. We want to be praying for open doors now. And who is it in your circle of relationships, even if you're going through a hard time, that in your imprisonment, as it were, in your limitations, God wants you to be praying to open the door, Lord, in my weakness, that I can share the gospel or that someone can communicate. It may be someone that's your friend. It may be someone you're praying for that lives a distance. And you're praying for someone else to reach them. It may be praying for God, open a door in my neighborhood, open a door in my workplace, open a door among the clients that I serve, open a door with my coworkers, open a door uh, on our kids' soccer team, the parents that I'm getting to know there. Open a door, Lord, for the gospel to go forth. This, if the Colossians are called to this kind of a mission, we are as well. We are as well. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.